So I've been thinking about what the Dhamma says about how we can be present with what's happening in the world without being caught up in it. And, um, you know, I you can see a lot of examples and, and even just reflect yourself on what it's like to, you know, look at all this intense kind of condition, all these intense conditions that are happening and then what what does the mind do with that? And how the Buddha is constantly asking us to refer back to our own mind and to train our mind. Um, later in, in today in the in the um, meeting on disease and mindfully facing disease and death, we're going to talk about the Buddha's death and we're going to talk about, you know, kind of how he was right at the end. And um, we'll talk about you know, what it means to reflect on death and how it works. And the Buddha, there's a sutta that's not included in this afternoon's uh, materials, but I'll probably bring it up later because it's a sutta that says when you reflect on death, then turn your attention to your own mind and review whether there are all the wholesome and unwholesome qualities and, and particularly identify are there any unwholesome qualities in myself that need to be eradicated? If there are any unwholesome qualities, then surely they need to be eradicated. <laughs> and, you know, to really think about that and see it. And and then he said, proceed like your hair's on fire um, to eradicate those unwholesome qualities. But he said, if you if you review your thinking first of all you're thinking about the possibility that you could die he said when you get up in the morning you think there are many ways that i could die today many things could cause that and what if i reflect on if i have any unwholesome qualities and i work really hard today to get rid of those before the death happens and if there are no unwholesome qualities in the mind then you just proceed joyfully um, experiencing happiness and then at night before you go to sleep you go through the same process you know I could easily die tonight in fact a lot of times when we go to bed at night I have Chitananda or I will say to one another I'll see you in the morning if we make it through the night you know it's it's a way of trying to get the mind to see reality not from a place of of fear or distress but from a place of appreciation and in inspiration to cleanse the mind clear the mind and be happy and the reflection on death brings us to the deathless pretty ironic kind of sounding but if we look at the world and what's happening in the world 
we can so easily get caught up and and be sad or angry or frightened or despairing. And it's natural. It's natural to feel that way because our this organism that is the particular living being and uh, the body and mind we have, it's designed to want to live and be afraid of anything happening to it, to be concerned. And a lot of times we become caught up in what else is happening with other people because we don't want to think about ourselves. Um, it's, it's easier to put our attention on others and what they should be doing or not doing. And so, you know, many of you know that Ajahn Chah would frequently say, put 95% of your attention on your own actions, your own body, bodily action, speech, and mental activity, and only 5% on what other people are doing. That'd be quite a balance, wouldn't it? Um, given how much we take in news and how much is exciting, disturbing, and challenging in the world right now. It seems like particularly right now. Um, but if we consider that it's our mind and our speech and our physical actions that we have control over, and that's what we have responsibility for primarily, it makes sense to put most of the attention there. But whatever comes in through our senses, the real attention needs to be on what are we doing with it. Am I peaceful and at ease and happy anyway? Can I see it with wisdom, with clarity? Can I put it in context? And how how wide do we have to open the aperture of the lens in order to see it in context? If I just look at, you know, the current conditions, it can be overwhelming. But if I step back and I look at the bigger picture, the bigger, bigger, bigger picture of lifetimes after lifetimes and the progress towards awakening, towards greater stability and happiness, then we can start to recognize that there is something there is a spiritual development. There is a way of growing and understanding and that those qualities, those sort of, sort of the development of our character, and that keeps going after the body dies. And all the rest, most of the stuff that we're experiencing, most of the stuff we're worried about is not going to continue after our body dies whether or not we have wealth, whether or not we have health, whether or not we have, obviously, youth isn't going to be there. <laughs> we keep getting older, no matter how old we are, it keeps happening. And and uh, what other people are doing. You know, it's like there's, there's going to be ongoing wholesome and unwholesome actions by other living beings in the world. And um, 
you know, so there's there's the level of, you know, seeing kind of the the things that are happening in the world that aren't immediately affecting us or maybe they're, you know, a bit distant, all, you know, all the stuff that's going on in our government and the stuff that's going on in other places and the stuff that's going on with other people out farther. And then there's the people who are close to us or the situations that are close to us. And how do we turn our mind, how do we take that in without being caught up in it? A good example today, one of our neighbors lives back farther into the mountains than we do. He's already pretty far. (laughs) Was walking by. She takes a walk every day. And sometimes we see her. We happen to be outside. We always talk. I asked her how she was doing, and she hesitated. And then she said, well, I could just say I'm fine, but that's not what's happening. I'm really, I don't know what word she used, but I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm disgruntled or something. I don't remember what she said. But then she started telling me the story. She has one daughter. Her daughter is in her 40s. Her daughter has had four kids by three different men and has never been married. And now she's pregnant with twins from a guy that she dated for three months. And she wants her mother to be happy about this. And her mother is so, so, so unhappy to see this happening. And it's like, it's so, you know, I... I'm a mother, so I get it. You know, it's like you see these children making choices, and they're not children. She's she's a middle-aged woman, you know. See people who are close to us making choices that are harmful for them, that are overwhelming, um, you know, and and I asked her some questions, and I listened, and I had to resist giving her Buddhist advice because that's usually my role. <laughs> that's not my role when it's a neighbor walking by. You know, it's like the best I can do is listen and empathize and give her a chance to just maybe unburden herself a bit. But it brings to my mind, like, how can we, how can we really appreciate that that we're not able to control other people's actions and that if we spend our time, our mental energy caught up in that, what a waste it is. When we, when really, if we turn to, okay, how am I taking this in and how can I use it to practice and how can I develop my mind? Um, that that's where the the benefits can come. And if we, can we let go? Can we let go of what's outside our control? Can we let go of what is not our responsibility? And and really let go, really let go. So I asked her, this lady, what kind of mother her daughter is, and she said she's a good mother. And it, it's like, 
can we bring our attention to the good, not not pretending that the bad isn't there, not pretending that something's, you know, wholesome when it's not wholesome. We need to have that clarity always. Know what's wholesome and unwholesome. This is wisdom. So we have to have the wisdom, the clarity. But then if we if we bring attention to what's good, legitimately what's good, then that helps it helps to develop that more and it helps to make the mind peaceful and happy. And I really believe that because we can see the unwholesome and we're clear about it, we acknowledge it, we know it's there, we know to avoid it, we know to step away from it, we know to not get engaged in that and do those things ourselves, that we can actually let go more. We see it for what it is, bring in the equanimity around that, and then put more attention on the good so that our mind can stay happy, elevated, and pure, and our actions and our way of being can help lift other people up. Even though we don't have control over other people, we do have an influence. We we all know that. We're influenced by others. Somebody's grumpy, we're likely to get grumpy too. Somebody's happy, it helps us to move in that direction. And our it doesn't always work, obviously, <laughs> but we really do have we do have influence. The power of another human voice. I mean, I know I say this pretty often, but it's really helpful to remember. The Buddha said the most powerful external force on us is another human voice. And the fact that he was ill, and it was also true of two of his very... Um, you know, advanced Arahant disciples when they were ill, physically sick, and then they, the Buddha even asked his attendant to talk about the seven factors of enlightenment, and it inspired the Buddha so much that he overcame his illness. It dropped away. This is amazing. It's like even the Buddha, fully enlightened Buddha, is so encouraged by another human voice. And it's like, so we have to remember, okay, what we say matters. What we do, the look on our face, it makes a difference. But it isn't a, a device with which to control because we can't do that. And we don't have the right either. This is another important point. How do we know when to get involved in things and when to stay away, when to have our hands off? And some of it has to do with whether we have permission, whether that's our role, that's our job. As parents, now by the time they're in their 40s, you don't have much, <laughs> much um, sort of parental responsibility in the same way. Um, they need a guide, but it's not like you can. Um, you're not training them anymore, and and that's an important thing to remember. And then as, you know, as a friend, um, as a teacher, as a, a manager, as, you know, we have different, different roles where we have different responsibilities and different, you might say, rights or in different situations it's appropriate to really 
give advice, um, tell someone what they should do. But there are many times when it's not. We don't have the invitation. It's not our. It's not our job. It's not our our um, place unless they ask or we ask. We have something we can say that we think is going to help, and we can ask if they are open to that. But it's so helpful to recognize whether or not we have a responsibility in this matter and whether or not we have uh, the permission, whether or not we have any kind of opportunity to control or influence, and, and correctly so. And then always coming back to our own mind. So we're really working most with our own mind, with our own actions, with our own speech. Because that's where the practice turns into being enlightened, being, having that experience, having that um, development. Buddha talked about it's a gradual path. You can see that, you know, things that those unwholesome qualities that we may discover in ourselves that we want to pursue and change like our hair is on fire. <laughs> um, you know, to really recognize that as I change this, that, repeti- that repetition of doing it differently, doing it more skillfully, that becomes part of my habit. That becomes eventually part of my character. That becomes part of the karmic stream that continues on. And so it's not a small thing. And it's done little by little, action by action, drop by drop, filling the bucket. So even when we look at, you know, how we want to show up in the world, what part we want to play, to really look at how I can do that in a way that's appropriate for the circumstance and most of the energy going into how I am inside, how I am inside in a way that brings my actions and speech about so that I can show up in in the right way. And none of us is perfect. None of us does it um, the best way all the time. That's just not the case. And that because there's 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 also layers within the mind. You know, like we see another person doing something unskillfully. We see our own mind thinking things that are unskillful. So it's like you, you step back again. This wisdom aspect of the mind must observe the habitual um, I think of the animal part the part that gets scared the part that gets um, greedy, the part that gets angry, the part that is averse and the part that is anxious and then and, okay how can I encourage this? This is where we do have the responsibility and the right and the permission you know, like really helping my own mind um, come into a more wholesome, balanced, 
skillful way. So these are just some thoughts to reflect upon. And I'd really like to hear your thoughts and reflections. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.